Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. We begin with stocks looking to get back on track after the S&P and the Nasdaq. They snap multi-week win streaks, and it's another big week ahead. This time, the focus turns to inflation and earnings. Investors also getting their first real chance to react to Friday's monthly jobs report with the red-hot job market showing some signs of cooling what it all means for the Fed's next rate decision. And a developing story, tensions between the U.S. and China escalating with both sides carrying out military drills in the Asia-Pacific region this weekend. We're live in Beijing with the very latest. Plus, a potential mega deal in the oil patch as ExxonMobil reportedly eyes a bid for shale driller Pioneer. We have those details ahead. And then later, Tesla looking to expand its footprint in China. It is Monday, April the 10th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collin. We want to turn our attention to that developing news in China and the escalating tensions between Beijing and Washington. The U.S. Navy says one of its missile destroyers carried out operations in the South China Sea earlier today. That move coming after China's military carried out military drills with simulated precision strikes against Taiwan this weekend. Our Eunice Yu now joins us from Beijing with the very latest on this story. Eunice, good morning. Hi, Frank. Well, it's not only simulated precision strikes, but today also a simulated blockade around the island as part of three days of scheduled drills. Now, the state media here has been carrying video of what it describes as nuclear-capable bombers armed with live missiles as well as warships. In addition, the news outlets have been uh, reporting that China's homegrown aircraft carrier, the Shandong, is engaging in the Taiwan war games for the first time. Now, the military says that these exercises are a, quote, stern warning for Taiwan after the island's president had visited. All right, we just lost Eunice's signal just a second there. We're going to try to get her back later on in the show. All right, time now for a check on U.S. stock futures. Coming off the long holiday weekend and Friday's monthly jobs report, right now looking at futures basically flat. Uh, however, the Nasdaq down very slightly this morning, down fractionally about a quarter of a percent. Stocks coming off a mixed week, the Dow notching its third positive week in the row, while the S&P and the Nasdaq, they actually broke their three-week winning streaks. It's a big week for the markets on the economic and earnings front. We get the latest looks at inflation with CPI data on Wednesday and PPI on Thursday. Then on Friday, earnings season kicks off and kicks into high gear with several banks reporting, including J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, and Citi. Something certainly to watch there. 
We're also checking the bond market right now. We're looking at yields down very slightly this morning. Something to watch on the 10-year note. We're exactly one month away from the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, the 10-year note, we're seeing the yield on that falling more than 50 basis points. And then we're also still continuing to see that inverted yield curve. Something to watch as a possible recession indicator. And in oil, we're seeing oil prices hold pretty much steady. Uh, right now, WTI at about $81 a barrel, up fractionally this morning. Brent crude, the international benchmark, up fractionally as well at about 85 bucks a barrel. Also, we'll have details on that potential major deal between ExxonMobil and Pioneer coming up in just a moment. Then in crypto, also holding pretty much steady. Right now, Bitcoin at just about 28,000, just above that mark, 28,300, up about a half a percent this morning. Ether basically flat. All right, markets in Europe and parts of the Asia-Pacific region also closed today for the Easter holiday. Markets in Japan, South Korea, and mainland China all open, though. We're seeing the moves right here. The Kospi up almost a percent. The Nikkei up nearly a half a percent. Let's get a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Our Bertha Coombs is here with those. Bertha, good morning. Hey, good morning, Frank. A potential mega deal in the energy sector taking shape. The Wall Street Journal reporting that ExxonMobil has held preliminary talks with Pioneer Natural Resources about possibly buying the U.S. fracking giant. The journal says discussions between both companies have been informal. The paper notes that Exxon has a sizable cash pile, about $30 billion, after posting a record annual profit for 2022 and has been exploring options to push deeper into West Texas shale. The Biden administration, meantime, appears set to accelerate part of its plan to transition the U.S. to electric vehicles. According to reports, the Environmental Protection Agency will propose new rules limiting tailpipe emissions this week. One draft plan would target vehicles, including cars, SUVs and pickups, with the rules effectively requiring EVs to account up to for up to 67 percent of new vehicle sales by 2032. And Taiwan Semiconductor is reportedly talking with U.S. officials in Washington seeking guidance on new laws aimed at boosting U.S. semi-production. According to Reuters, the company is specifically looking at conditions for subsidies stemming from the CHIPS Act. It comes as Taiwan Semi reveals that revenue fell 15 percent in March from a year ago, making that the first drop in nearly four years. Frank? Thank you very much. We'll see you later on the show. All right, turning our attention now, back to the markets and investors getting their first real chance to trade on the backs of monthly of Friday's monthly jobs report. That report revealing that 236,000 jobs were added in March, roughly in line with expectations. The unemployment rate ticking down very slightly to 3.5%. Investors now turning their attention to inflation with the CPI and PPI reports out later this week, both of which will offer fresh clues on if or when the Fed may pause or even end its rate hiking campaign. For much more on this, let's bring in Robert Teeter, Head of Investment Policy and Strategy at Silvercrest Asset Management, and Sarah House, Senior Economist at Wells Fargo. Great to have you both here. So I'm going to begin with you, Sarah, if you don't mind. Um, jobs report basically in line with expectations. Upward revision on February, however, and a slight increase in wages. What has that said to you about the economy and about what the Fed's path forward could likely be? Right. So overall, I think we're still seeing some decent momentum in the economy. We saw that with another pretty solid number in terms of overall payroll growth. But I think we're seeing some encouraging signs for at least keeping some hope alive for, for the soft landing in that we saw average hourly earnings on trend. It's decelerating. And a big part of that is we're starting to see the labor market come back into balance, not just from weaker demand, but also from greater supply. So we saw the labor force participate 
participation rate move up for the fourth straight month. So I think that was an encouraging sign in, in the report. So, Robert, same question for you. What did you make out of that jobs report? Basically in line, but again, that revision up to the upside for February. Yeah, well, thank you, Frank. I think there were two really important takeaways for investors in the job number. The first was for bond investors, the fact that job gains have been slowing. That brings us closer to that ever-elusive pause from the Fed. Uh, We've all been waiting for that. I think that will alleviate some of the pressure that markets have seen. We've seen a lot of volatility in the bond market. Some of that is because we're coming towards the end of that rate hike cycle. And as soon as we get the Fed to pause, I think some of that rate volatility will ease. You'll see improvements to valuations. For equity investors, the fact that job gains continue to be steady is helpful. It extends the runway on economic expansion. And while we will be dealing with some drag from credit lending uh, due to the Silicon Valley Bank issue and other issues in the banking sector, we think that we will just avoid recession. And one of the reasons is these continued steady gains in the job market. So something for everyone in the last jobs report, but mostly slow and steady. All right, Robert, I want to stay with you for a minute. Obviously, coming up this week, we have CPI on Wednesday, PPI on Thursday. Both will give us fresh reads on inflation, then big bank earnings on Friday. How would you suggest that investors position ahead of these three very big reports? I know you believe we're leaning towards a pause, but obviously these reports will have a big influence on the Fed going forward. Yeah, it is a very challenging time here in the short term with a lot of important data. And I think as we've seen in past weeks, each data point tends to create a lot of volatility. So my expectation is for choppy markets in the short term here with a lot of volatility. But I think for investors who have a longer time horizon looking out towards the end of the year, or at least out towards the end of the summer, I think we'll get some relief on the rate front. I think we'll get some relief on valuation. And I think we'll see the economy and earnings hanging in there. So my advice is to be cautious in the short term, uh, but optimistic over the longer term. All right. So a lot of optimism on your part, Robert. Sarah, I want to come back over to you. Robert said there was something in this jobs report for just about everybody. What about the people that are forecasting a recession? Did you see some data points in there that would lead you to believe that we're moving closer to a recession? Are we basically in the same place we were before this jobs report? Well, I think we are seeing signs that overall the labor market is weakening. So we've seen a pretty marked downshift in in job growth. So if you look at the prior 12 months, we were adding 360,000 jobs per month. Now we're adding 236. So that was the lowest increase we had seen in more than two years. And so I think we're certainly seeing that loss of momentum. And, And right now it's a controlled descent, but that doesn't mean that it's going to stay that way. We're still coming in for, for some sort of landing. And I think we are seeing some other broader signs of weakness. So temporary employment continuing to trend down. We saw the work week, the average work week tick down. So suggesting that employers are using workers less intensely. So I think we're still seeing that loss of momentum. So it doesn't mean we are out of the woods in terms of, of a potential hard landing by any means. All right. So, but you're saying it's a controlled descent, but doesn't a controlled descent kind of imply that we're headed towards a soft landing as opposed to a crash landing, which would be a recession? Well, for, for now, but I think there's still a lot unknown in, in that context. So I think if you look at some of the other economic activity indicators that we saw last week, they're pointing towards the fact that the economy is beginning to lose quite a bit of momentum, not just within the jobs market. So while I think overall these, these jobs numbers remain pretty pretty respectable, it's a matter of can we keep that pace going forward? And, and our view is just given the, the broader deterioration in demand, everything we're seeing from job openings and postings coming down. The NFIB hiring plans, the lowest it's been since 2017, barring the throes of COVID. And now what's a pretty clear uptrend in claims is that that labor market is losing pretty significant momentum. So remains to be seen if we can kind of glide down to a a more trend-like pace of of job growth, or if 
if job growth is going to just slow more markedly and, and potentially drive us into a recession. So, Robert, I'm going to give you the last word. Again, so many potential market movers coming up. CPI, PPI, big back earnings. Right now, how are you balancing portfolios? Are you taking some money out of the market or do you believe the place you want to be right now is equities? Well, we've had a posture that's just above midpoint of risk for equity exposure, and that's on the basis that uh, earnings and the economy will continue right around the flat line, perhaps slightly positive. And over the course of coming quarters, we'll get improvement in inflation, and that will provide a bit of a boost to valuations. So we do think that this rate hike cycle is really critical here. So once we get to that Fed rate hike pause, uh, we do think valuations will improve a bit. And we think the economy and earnings hang in with slightly positive gains on the basis of the year right around the flat line. All right, Robert Teeter and Sarah House, thank you both for being here. We appreciate your insight. Post-Jobs Report. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, gold seeing some serious shine, hovering near all-time highs as this rally continues. We dig into what's got investors piling in to the precious metal. Plus, new details on the collapse of FTX and a fresh report laying out some key factors that fueled the downfall of Sam Beckman frieds crypto empire. And then later, finance facing hurdles and finding a new home to park its customers' cash. The latest on the continued fallout over the Signature Bank collapse, a very busy hour. Still ahead, when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Brought to you by Eden Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eden Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at EdenVance.com slash CNBC. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment's objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at EdenVance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured, offer no bank guarantee, may lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at tmobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Gold prices are slipping a bit today on the back of Friday's U.S. jobs report, showing a tighter labor market and raising expectations of another rate hike by the Fed next month. Still, gold is holding above the $2,000 an ounce mark, and the precious metal has just been steadily climbing up 10% this year, and it's just below record levels. For now, let's get some more insight on all this with Nikki Shields, head of metal strategy at MKS PAMP. Nikki, great to have you here. Great to be here. All right, so we're seeing gold trade above $2,000 a barrel. What is your price target? What are your expectations for gold this year, and what are the factors leading you to this conclusion? Right. So, I mean, we're, we're pretty constructive even at these levels. I mean, it's done a lot of mileage. It's $130 up in the last uh, few months. Uh, there's just a lot of things coming towards gold. You've got this inflation underpinning, which has been an issue for the past eight months. We have recession fears. And then within the, the past two months, we've seen a bit of a game changer with the fact that you've got a banking crisis um, that the Fed has had to backstop and start expanding the balance sheet. All of that is playing into gold prices. 
we do see pricing hitting all-time highs in the short term. Um, but ultimately, gold is a scorecard on how well the Fed lands this. And if the Fed cannot do a good enough job, we do see gold getting up to 2500 2500 Okay, that's a yeah. big jump from where we're at right now at 2014 right now. So right now we're also showing uh, the likelihood of a Fed rate hike. So give us a sense. We have the potential recession on one side. We have the, the Fed potentially hiking rates right. on the other side. How does that impact the gold market? So, there, you know, this idea that the Fed is handcuffed, it's got inflation, it's got financial instability risks, and then it's got a recession. And I just, we don't think that it's going to be, be able to solve all three. And that's, that's why gold comes into play, because of the increased uncertainty around all these three factors that is a core driver behind pricing. Are there any potential shocks coming up for the gold market? We're going to talk about the impact of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank in just a moment. Right. But is there anything else coming up that could potentially change your outlook on the gold market? Right. So, you know, there's certainly sort of bearish risks we have to uh, take into account. And the fact that the Fed could potentially over tighten. And if they do, we do see a bit of a deflationary backdrop across all assets, um, including gold. All right. So the Fed is obviously a, a big factor when it comes to the gold market Correct. and precious metals in right. general. I want to talk about Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, their collapses. You said that was a game changer for the gold and for the silver market. Right. What made it a game changer? And then as we have big bank earnings coming up later this week, could that also impact the precious metals market? Right. Absolutely. So, you know, you had the fact that in Q4 last year, the Fed broke a very contained market. It was the crypto tech market. And that sort of bled into the broader financial sector. And so we've seen a reallocation of wealth as there's simply been a crisis of confidence when there is a banking crisis. And that has gone into crypto. It's gone into gold. It's gone into money markets. And so with bank earnings coming up, I think investors are just um, very uncertain and we'll, we'll, we'll look to see what, what it brings. But certainly if equities start to trade on the back foot, we could see a, a push further into gold. All right, I want to circle back to that 2500 price target. Again, just really quick for everybody listening, what would be the potential setup for us to reach 2500 an ounce in the gold market? You, you've got to look back to 2008 and gold there doubled, went from 800 to 1900 in the space of 18 months. And so if we see the fact that hard or harder landing risks rise and the Fed really having to um, sort of uh, forego inflation and start ramping up this balance sheet, we could see gold uh, take off again. All right, Nikki Shells from MKS Pamp, 2,500 potential price target. Some things have potential. to happen. Some things have to happen. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for being here. Thank you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, our deep dive into the global hotspot of China as tensions between Washington and Beijing escalate. The tightrope Beijing is walking with its latest military moves and what investors need to keep their eye on. That and much more when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at tmobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. Lot look right now at 30 Rock in New York City. A bit of a chilly spring morning here on the East Coast. Uh, 21 past the hour. 521 in New York. 1021 in London. Let's get the show going. 
All right, time for a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Men. He's in New York at 30 Rock right now, actually, with the very latest. Philip, good morning. That is accurate. I am here. Frank, good morning. Uh, the Pentagon is searching for whoever leaked classified documents that were posted online. NBC News got a hold of more than 50 of the documents, many of them labeled top secret, the highest level of classification. The leak includes maps and equipment lists that lay out details about Ukraine's military strength, casualty counts, and Western weapons capabilities. But different versions of the documents have surfaced since first appearing online back in March, some citing a number of Russian military casualties in the war in Ukraine significantly lower than the Pentagon's estimates. And that's fueling speculation that the documents were altered, perhaps, by someone with an agenda. Democratic Tennessee Congressman Justin Jones and Justin Pearson are fighting for their seats back. The GOP-controlled state house expelled them for breaking rules as they rallied for tougher gun control measures. It's now up to local leaders in their districts to pick their replacements in a special election. Today, the Metro Nashville Council will weigh in. So far, at least 23 members vowed to reappoint Representative Jones. Finally, John Rahm closed out a wet day at Augusta National with a little bit of sunshine. Rahm rallied in the final round of the Masters to finish at 12 under, winning the tournament by four strokes. It's the first time that Rahm has put on the green jacket in his career. That's it from here, Frank. I'll send it back to you. Yeah, you know, uh, great for John Rahm, number one. Congratulations to him. But kind of disappointing to see Tiger have to drop out. Just a little. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, we're always going to associate Tiger Woods, people of this generation, with the Masters and, uh, you know, with one more special comeback, which he did a couple of years ago. But, yeah, it's always tough to not him see him on Sunday with that uh, red on, you know, getting for the win. I'm hoping he has one more major in him, Philip. I'm just I'm I'm keeping my fingers crossed for him. All right, Philip Benna, live in New York City. Thank you, Philip. All right. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, a key Apple supplier further setting its sights on electric vehicles. The who, the what, and where of this big money investment. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange, a.k.a. Wex, will be right back. Stay with us. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in New York City, 10.30 a.m. in London, and we're just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. A developing story out of Asia is the U.S. and China that carry out weekend military exercises in that region, the latest on the escalating tensions between the two world powers. Investors watching those developments while also turning their attention to a big week of economic data and earnings season kicking off into high gear. We tee up a very busy, busy trading day ahead. And the latest monthly employment report showing some signs of a cooling jobs market, what it may all mean for the Fed's upcoming rate decision on this Monday, April the 10th, only right here on Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. All right, welcome back. I'm Frank Holland. Let's pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures right now. Not a lot of action in U.S. stock futures, pretty much muted right now. We're going to show you in just a second, flat across the board with the NASDAQ down very slightly right now. Dow Jones like it could open up just a tick higher at this moment. We have a big week for markets on the economic and on the earnings front. We get the latest looks at inflation with CPI data on Wednesday, then PPI on Thursday. Then on Friday, earnings season kicks into high gear with several big banks reporting. That includes J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo and Citi. We're also checking the bond market this morning, something we continue to watch. We're seeing the 10-year benchmark at 3.36. This is about 50 basis points lower than it was just a month ago. Remember, that's when Silicon Valley Bank collapsed on March the 10th. Something to watch. Also, the inverted yield curve. Again, a lot of people see that as a recession indicator. We're also looking at the energy market right now, especially oil, of course. 
We're seeing oil basically flat, holding pretty steady at 81 bucks a barrel right now for WTI crude, up a third of a percent this morning. Brent crude at just about 85 bucks a barrel, up about a quarter of a percent this morning. All right, now we want to turn our attention to that developing news in China and the escalating tensions between Beijing and Washington. The U.S. Navy says one of its missile destroyers carried out operations in the South China Sea earlier today. That move coming after China's military carried out military drills with simulated precision strikes against Taiwan this weekend. Our Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing with the very latest on this story. Eunice. Thanks so much, Frank. Well, in addition to the precision uh, drills or the precision strikes and the simulations there, uh, today the Chinese military uh, conducted a mock uh, simulation of a blockade around the island as part of these three days of scheduled drills. Uh, the state media has been carrying video of what it described as a joint sword um, effort and um, nuclear-capable bombers, they said, armed with live missiles as well as warships. In addition, the news outlets have been saying that the uh, Chinese homegrown aircraft carrier is engaging in these Taiwan war games for the first time. Uh, This is called the Shandong. Uh, The Japanese have said that they've also detected uh, the Shandong in uh, waters near Okinawa. Now, the military says that the exercisers are meant as a stern warning, they said, for Taiwan. And this is after the island's president, Tsai Ing-wen, had stopped over in both New York as well as L.A. as part of a 10-day trip outside of Taiwan, uh, mainly to Central America. Tsai Ing-wen has now returned uh, to Taiwan. And over the weekend, she vowed to never give in and stop these exchanges with the U.S. In fact, she hosted another delegation of congresspeople uh, by, with, that was led by House Foreign Affairs Committee Chair Michael McCall. Now, Taiwan says that for Monday, it detected uh, 59 Chinese planes, 11 ships near the island. And again, um, the, despite the tensions, uh, these uh, drills are actually seen as less aggressive action compared to when the former House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, had visited Taiwan last summer. Frank? Beijing, thank you very much for that report. Let's talk more about this global hotspot with Shazad Kazi, Managing Director at China Beige Book International. Shazad, great to have you here. Thank you for having me on. All right, so Eunice just kind of laid out the situation, some tensions there in the South China Sea, both the U.S. and China flexing their military muscles in the region. What are the real chances of this escalating into something much more serious? You know, a lot of work was done on the back end uh, before uh, President Tsai Ing-wen came to the United States. You had American delegations out in in Beijing trying to calm tensions down. Uh, You've seen that Speaker McCarthy has actually rolled back a lot of his uh, points from earlier, including a a visit to Taiwan, which is no longer going to happen. So I think the trend is towards de-escalation rather than this getting out of hand. Okay, so what is de-escalation? look like in this case. There's been ongoing tension between the U.S. and China all the way back really to the Trump administration with that trade war. Then this time around, we have the Taiwanese president meeting with a bunch of political leaders here in the United States, including the House Speaker. You just mentioned it just right now. What does status quo mean in this relationship with all the other things going on? I think we need to pull back and establish a larger context here. There is an ongoing U.S.-China decoupling within particular sectors of the economy, which I think will continue. There are trade tensions which will continue. There's going to be very serious look, I think, moving forward in the years ahead on technology more specifically. That is the context, and I think that is the new status quo. 
So the new status quo is, is tension and a lack of cooperation and a decoupling. Whether you're, Are you talking about broader trends like reshoring here in the United States, manufacturing moving away from China and us putting restrictions on technology going to China? Or is there something deeper than that? Well, I think that's exactly it. That's part of it. Critical supplies to the United States, including pharmaceuticals and other technological inputs, critical minerals and so forth, decoupling there. Financial decoupling, a lot of concern about American money going into companies that could be helping the Chinese military advance and grow bigger and stronger to take on the United States potentially. And of course, as we said, same thing on the technological front. So certainly I think there has been a change in what used to be the relationship, which was more and more economic integration. Now the focus certainly is more and more decoupling in specific sectors. Okay. So your platform, the China Beige Book, you provide data and insights to financial decision makers here in the United States, also institutional investors. So you got the right place. You're in the right place right now. We've got a big audience of both here. What is the number one story that you think investors and corporate decision makers should be paying attention when it comes to the U.S.-China relationship? Well, the first thing is what's happening to the Chinese economy itself, because that is incredibly important. Uh, You know, we have seen that the economy has started recovering, but the economy is not recovering at nearly the pace where a lot of folks in the markets anticipated it would. The Chinese economy's comeback has not been that strong. Now, we think the second quarter is going to change, but I think a lot of the economic dynamic underpinning the two economies, I think that's going to be very, very important, first and foremost, to keep in mind. So what's the next inflection point as we look at the Chinese economy? Uh, Last year, I remember the Beijing Marathon. That was the thing everybody was looking at for the potential reopening. Then we had the post-Lunar New Year era uh, period of time here this year. What's the next point we should look at that we can gauge the reopening of China and just the resumption of its economy? I think a lot of folks were really looking for the Chinese consumer to come back powerfully as soon as zero COVID was over. That didn't happen as, in as big a way as it could have in the first quarter. Second quarter, I think, is where we're going to see this. That is the inflection point. If Chinese households are spending on travel, on going out and taking on vacations, if the property market continues to improve, which is also a sentiment gauge in many ways for the households, that would be the tell of how good a recovery, how powerful a recovery we get this year from China. All right, Q2, something to watch. We have to bring you back at the end of June to get your take on what we're seeing there. Shazad Kazi, thank you very much for being here. We appreciate it. All right, time now to get a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Our Bertha Coombs is back with those. Good morning again, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Frank. Here's what we've got for you this hour. The U.S. arm of crypto exchange Binance is struggling to find a bank for its customers' cash following the failures of Signature Bank and Silvergate Capital, according to reports. The failure of those two financial firms, seen as friendly to the crypto community, left many companies rushing to find new banking partners. Binance is reportedly using at least one middleman to store customer funds and has unsuccessfully so far sought to establish direct banking relationships with firms including Cross River Bank and Customers Bank Corp. Debtors at failed crypto exchange FTX, meantime, noting in a new report that the company lacked fundamental financial and accounting controls, saying, quote, hubris, incompetence and greed were at the root of its collapse last year. The report detailing FTX's history of misusing corporate and customer funds, lying to third parties about the business and joking internally about its tendency to lose track of millions of dollars in assets. And Eli Lilly reportedly warning Europe 
it may miss out on new drugs for conditions like heart disease and cancer if it pushes ahead with plans to cut market exclusivity protection from 10 to 8 years, is according to the Financial Times. Under the plan change to patent rules, treatment for chronic diseases or cancer trials would potentially be seen as unnecessary, and cheaper alternatives for Alzheimer's and obesity drugs would likely also be impacted. These uh, pharmaceuticals are under a lot of pressure with rising prices, Frank, on both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah, certainly. And also, you know, a, a bit of a political football as well, those prices as well. Our Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. All right, investors getting their first chance to react to that jobs report, which came out on Friday. That key report ahead of another fresh read on inflation this week with CPI and PPI data. U.S. employers adding 236,000 jobs in March, and the labor force expanded by 480,000, while unemployment, it ticked down just a bit, back down to 3.5 percent. Wage growth also further slowed. The data meeting expectations as Wall Street eyes any impact it may have on the Fed's next rate hike decision. Let's talk much more about this latest jobs report and the key trends within that data with Julia Pollack, chief economist at ZipRecruiter. Julia, thank you for being here. Good morning. Thanks for having me. All right. So first off, let's get your take on it. Um, you know, the jobs report basically in line with expectations, but we did see that upward revision to the month before. Yeah. So I think the, the real story here is the relative absence of a slowdown in the labor market. Uh, if you look at the last four quarters, the labor market has added about a million jobs every quarter. Uh, and, and that's really pretty remarkable, given how quickly the Fed has been raising interest rates. Sure, some, certainly something to watch there. Were there any segments of that report that really caught your eye? Hospitality led again. That was expected. Yes. Yeah, so we do see a, a slowdown in construction, in manufacturing, in information. Temp hiring was weak. Uh, and retail has just been moving sideways this entire year. Uh, so basically no job gains in retail. But elsewhere in the economy, uh, there is still a hiring frenzy underway in leisure and hospitality in particular, uh, but, but also in, in several other sectors. Professional and business services, I think, was a big surprise to many people. Very big number there. Uh, healthcare continues to chug along. Uh, so there are still jobs being created in this economy, and the unemployment rate is very low. It's been under 4% for over four years now. And whenever that happens, we see women, we see minorities, uh, we see younger workers, we see lower wage workers come out ahead and narrow those gaps uh, between them and, and men uh, at sort of the, the, the kind of core of the labor market that usually does well. Now the right. workers who are usually left behind are doing much better. So clearly you're seeing a lot of positive signs in the job market. I'm going to talk to you about what that means for the Fed and its next decision in a second. Mm -hmm. But one question I have for you, where are the layoffs? We've seen all these layoffs in the tech sector. We've seen layoffs in some other areas as well. Where are we seeing the signs of that? So they're not driving up the unemployment rate, but they are showing up in the data in a couple of ways. Uh, one way is in the breadth of job gains. So in this last report, actually the last quarter, we've seen something called the diffusion index, which is a measure of how broadly spread jobs are across the economy. We've seen that really fall a lot. Uh, and so fewer industries are now adding jobs. The other way we're seeing this is that the share of people who are entering unemployment uh, who are job leavers is falling and the share who are job losers, people who've been laid off or fired, that is steadily going up now. All right. So, Julie, we're looking at the CME FedWatch to what has a 61 percent chance of a rate hike during the next Fed meeting. The data that we saw in this lab's jobs report, obviously, we have some other inputs with PPI and CPI later this week. But the data we saw in this report 
Does that lead you to believe that we're getting closer to a rate increase or less likely to have a, a rate increase? Well, so the great thing about this report, I think, is that the Fed could basically go either way on this report and use it as justification. So what we saw is you know, strong job gains, which the Fed could say allows it room to squeeze more inflation out of this economy. But we also saw wage growth cool a lot. And I don't like looking at that year over year number that everyone reports. I prefer to zoom in and look at what's happening right now. And if you zoom in on what's happened the last quarter, uh, wage growth on a three-month annualized basis has actually fallen from 3.5% to 3.2%. That is totally in line with the Fed's inflation target of 2%, because that allows for a 2% adjustment to wages for inflation and another one5 or so for productivity growth. So this number is fully consistent with the 2% inflation target, and it's no longer overheating of the labor market that is driving wage, uh, wage growth and, and inflation. Uh, there, there's no sign of a wage price spiral here in this report. All right. We're going to keep our eyes on the Fed. Actually, from the time I looked earlier this morning, it's a 64 percent chance of that 25 basis point hike. Something to watch. Julia Pollack, a ZipRecruiter, really great to have you here. We really appreciate the insight. Anytime. Thank you. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, Elon Musk looking to expand Tesla's footprint in China. Our Phil Lebeau is standing by with new details on the EV maker's big bet on that country to boost production. Worldwide Exchange, we are back in just a moment. Stay with us. Live look at Hong Kong right now. Hong Kong markets closed today for the holiday. It's about 5.43 over there in Hong Kong. They're wrapping up their day over there, only about 5.43 in the morning here in the New York City area. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Foxconn is planning to invest $820 million over the next three years in new manufacturing facilities in Taiwan to support its electric vehicle ambitions. The company announcing this weekend that the investments will include plans for making electric buses and batteries for EVs as it seeks to diversify its revenue base. And amid growing tensions between Washington and Beijing, Tesla is increasing its investment in China. The company choosing Shanghai to put a factory for its Megapack battery for energy storage. Our Phil Lebeau joins us now with more on that story. Phil, good morning. Good morning, Frank. This is a part of the Tesla business that doesn't get a whole lot of attention. Frankly, it's not a sexy part of the business, nor a large part at this point, but it is growing. So here's the announcement that was made yesterday in China. And initially, these details came from Chinese state media. Shanghai Battery Plant. This is going to be a battery manufacturing facility. They will be building 10,000 megapacks annually with production starting in the second quarter of 2024. As I mentioned, it's not the sexy part of the business. What people are more focused on with Tesla is EV production and EV sales in China. Remember, they've been cutting prices over there because of stiff competition from other Chinese electric vehicle manufacturers. This megapack plant will not be producing batteries for EV production, but it solidifies the supply chain that Tesla has built over in China when it comes to uh, electric vehicle manufacturing, battery manufacturing. That's really at the core of its growth over in China and in Asia. And in, in worldwide terms, I get this question from a lot of people on a regular basis. Where does Tesla compare to other manufacturers in global sales? We're not talking about here in the U.S., where they basically have two-thirds of the market. Globally, at the end of last year, they were the leader with 17% market share. But BYD is catching up rather quickly. They have 12%. There you see VW and GM, which has a sizable operation uh, when it comes to lower-priced EVs in China. So as you take a look at shares of Tesla, keep in mind, this is a company that has announced late last week 
uh, basically Thursday night into Good Friday, that it was going to be cutting its EV prices here in the U.S. again with a base model Model Y coming in now at forty nine nine ninety. They're cutting the prices for the Model Y by two thousand, and then with the Model Three, the lowest price model, those are dropping by another one thousand dollars down to forty one nine ninety. So. This is important, Frank, because you have the EV tax credits going into effect a week from tomorrow is when they go into effect. And we already know that some of these Tesla models will not qualify for the full 7,500. You're saying some models won't qualify, but how much for those price cuts potentially boost demand for Tesla vehicles? In the past, it's worked, and I wouldn't be surprised if it works again. Look, they they are the leader in the market, so you have to take that into consideration. There is demand out there for Tesla's lower-end vehicles. And and if you can drive that price down, Frank, once you get under 50000 that seems to be one of those triggers where consumers are saying, look, I've been interested in an electric vehicle. Now I'm really interested. Above 50000 we've seen that market not grow as quickly as it has in the past. All right, our Phil LeBeau, live this morning with the latest on Tesla. Phil, thank you very much. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, Invesco's Brian Levitt. He lays out the major trading week ahead with inflation and earnings in focus and why he says he's defensive in these markets. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange, a.k.a. WEX. We'll be right back. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for what we like to call your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. We begin with the U.S. Navy saying one of its missile destroyers carried out operations in the South China Sea earlier today. The move coming after China's military carried out drills around Taiwan this weekend. ExxonMobil reportedly in talks with Pioneer Natural Resources about a possible acquisition. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. Discussions have been informal, but Exxon is actively exploring options that could reshape the oil and gas industry. The Biden administration apparently set to accelerate part of its plan to transition the U.S. to electric vehicles. According to reports, the plan would effectively require EVs to account for up to 67 percent of new vehicle sales by 2032. First Republic suspending payments of its quarterly cash dividend on its preferred stock as a, quote, measure of prudent oversight after halting the dividend of its common stock last month. OpenAI CEO Sam Altman says the organization is looking to open an office in Japan and is expanding Japanese language services after meeting with the Japanese prime minister. And Super Mario Brothers scoring the top opening of all time for an animated film with $377 million in global ticket sales, shattering several records and taking the crown for the top opening weekend of 2023. Believe it or not, Mario Brothers doing all that. All right, we're gearing up for the trading day ahead. We've got February wholesale trade and earnings from Price Smart on tap, along with fresh comments from New York Fed President John Williams this afternoon. Also ahead, the International Monetary Fund and World Bank Spring Meeting Week begins today, featuring a series of events attended by central bank governors, finance ministers, government officials, and other invited participants. Turn our attention back to Wall Street. Looking at futures right now, futures basically flat. The Nasdaq just very slightly in the red. We're also turning our attention to earnings season, kicking into high gear with the big banks, the big focus on Friday. Let's get some insight on how to best position your portfolio for this trading week ahead. Joining me now, Brian Levitt, global market strategist for North America at Invesco. Brian, great to have you here. Thank you. Good to be here. So, Brian, let's kick it off right now. We're obviously coming off that jobs report. Investors really haven't had a chance to respond to it. 
Um, futures, pretty muted right now. What do you see the reaction today after that jobs report that was in line for last month, but February, we actually saw that upward revision? Yeah, so we're still working through what's what's going to be a slowdown in the economy. And the jobs report started to hint towards that, maybe not as slow as some might have hoped. But you're seeing private sector employment slow. Uh, wages are, are becoming more muted. So it's a positive sign. It almost felt like a, a soft landing type of report and that things were slowing and inflation wasn't uh, it's remaining a big challenge. Now, we're probably not going to get through this with a soft landing, but but nonetheless, um, a report that uh, clearly wasn't of particular concern to investors. And what people should remember is that those, that's lag data anyway. Well, you got to explain that one, Brian. You said it was a soft landing-ish report, but you don't think we're headed towards a soft landing. So kind of reconcile that for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a report where job growth continued to remain reasonable and and inflationary pressures seemed to moderate. Right. Wages were not robust. Uh, so that's that sort of, uh, you know, that's an environment where growth remains OK and, and inflation stops being a problem. So it was a I would call it a soft landish type report. But I think it's it's hyperbole or an exaggeration to think that it, this is an economy that the first time ever can get through uh, 500 basis points of interest rate hikes in an incredibly short period of time without having a recession. Uh, it's very likely that we will. The the guideposts on the path to a recession are here, whether it's uh, inverted yield curve, banks tightening lending standards significantly. Now, the good news is for investors is the markets did a pretty good job. The equity market did a pretty good job of pricing a recession last summer, and the market leads the economy, not vice versa. So it doesn't have to be anything that investors uh, significantly fear. Uh, but, but nonetheless, it's an economy that's slow meaningfully. Okay, economy slowing. So we have some three pretty big reports coming up. We mentioned CPI on Wednesday, PPI on Thursday, then big banks reporting their earnings on Friday. How should someone position today knowing that these three potentially market moving reports are coming up later this week? I mean, we're still in an environment where investors want to be more defensive. Um, now, that's not going to last forever. That's very much more of a, a tactical call as the economy slows here. But what I remind investors is that once inflation has peaked and, and is coming down and once the Fed backs off its tightening cycle, you usually see markets do well over the next couple of years. So I would say tactically defensive, but keep your eyes on um, what's going to ultimately be a market that's looking forward to the new business cycle. And and so you have a little bit of challenge until we get there. Now, the consumer price index is front and center. That's what that's what we've all been focusing on. It's going to continue to show that inflation is moderating and, and inflation will come down. It will get back much closer to the Fed's comfort zone. And as that happens, that's when you know, the Fed pause or policy shift happens. And, and again, the new, new market cycle emerges. Now, a little bit of challenge okay. before we get there, but ultimately the recovery phase plays out. All right. So a little bit of challenge before we get there. Very quickly, give us a sense. What percentage equities, what percentage bonds, what percent cash per, per potentially right now, knowing that everything could change as of Friday? Well, when, when you think of a, a 60-40 portfolio, you, you don't need huge swings in that portfolio. You want to make sure that the 40 is protecting you. And so, you know, you would you would or increase some exposure to, to bonds uh, than you would typically have, whether that's 45 percent up to 50 percent. But make sure it's high quality bonds, investment grade corporates or or high quality treasuries. Okay. Um, on the equity side, you want to be more defensive. So, 
you know, that means larger cap, that means growthier, that means lower stocks that have historically had lower volatility or more defensive sectors. Um, but, you know, for again, for investors, this is about what what's the next, you know, five, 10 percent move going to look like, which could be a retracement of some of okay. the gains we've seen this year. I do think the bottom's in for this cycle. Right, so you so may have Brian, some retracement don't, here. Don't want to cut you off, but you are straddling the fence a little bit on some of this. So I want to put you on the spot just a bit. If you had one word to describe the investing week ahead, what would it be? Volatile. Volatile. There you go. Brian Levitt's word for the week. Volatile. Really appreciate you being here. Thank you for all the insight. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Futures basically flat. On that note, we're going to kick things off to Squawk Box. It's coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.